Hi everyone and welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast episode, I don't know, um, and I'm here on my own tonight because Neil's doing his show in Melbourne, I was unwell for a couple of weeks um, and so he did an Ask Me Anything last week part one and I'm doing part two this week and next week we should be back podcasting together. So bear with me because it's my first time ever podcasting solo without Neil so we will miss him and I've also been having some crazy tech dramas all night so big shout out to Neil's friend Steve for taking my calls on a Sunday night (laughs) trying to help me. I think I've got it figured out if this doesn't work I'll be crying. Um, So yeah it's nice to be here. I'm excited to do an Ask Me Anything. It's going to be weird not having Neil as a little uh, devil's advocate as usual in our discussions but we'll see how we go. Um, I did get a lot of questions and you know I actually didn't watch Neil's first ask me (laughs) anything because I just had a hectic week with a lot of sleep. I'm actually in my pajamas right now so um, sorry for that but here we are. Um, So hopefully we don't have any repeat questions although I'm sure they are not repeated fingers crossed um i did have a lot of answers so i'll try to get through as many as i can um some people wrote me really long ones on messages as well so i i I will try to unpack as much as i can if not um we'll get to it another time hopefully so yeah let's let's get started um it's really odd filming on my own. I actually tried to convince Adrian <laughs> to come in with me for a little bit and he was like, absolutely not. And if you're hearing a banging right now, that's my dog just coming in. Here she is. Nellie, come here. She doesn't want to come up, but she's here. Um, and <laughs> she's bumping everything around. <laughs> so sorry. Um, but it makes me nostalgic of Neil's cat, Shorty. Um, So the first question I got, which is so typical and probably my most asked question on our YouTube channel, um, the comments is, are you a nail thing or have you been a thing? Um, The answer to that is no, (laughs) we're not a thing. We've never been a thing. Nothing has ever happened in anything other than a platonic friendship, professional manner. Um, We people always confused about how we met and how it started and honestly it was just very random that neil happened to open my messages um i would i messaged him a couple times on instagram i think and we started a debate about open relationships versus monogamous relationships this is back when neil was i think he was single or maybe had just started an open relationship but that's what he was all and all supporting so he and I had a bit of a debate about it and then I was telling him about what I've studied and um, he was really interested in everything I'd studied and he was like hear me out Um, let's meet up for dinner not in a sleazy way or anything like that but I've, I've got like a an idea and I want to swing it by you I want to see like you know if if we can have that kind of not banter, but flow, I guess. And so I met with him. We went to Newtown, went to a vegan restaurant, and we basically did a, had a conversation exactly like how we have our conversations on um, our podcast. Just a lot of back and forth. We're both really interested in relationships, gender, um, sex, and he was like, "Let's film this." So 
the next week I just went over to his place and that was the rest of it. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. I also talk about my um, fiance all the time <laughs> on this podcast. So I don't know why people think that Neil and I are a thing or have been a thing. And he, Neil also has a girlfriend as well. So hopefully that puts those rumors to rest that I hand on heart can say nothing has ever been in that realm nothing romantic or physical or anything like that has ever happened and it won't i am engaged um anyways the next question i got was what made you want to start um studying sex therapy in the first place so i always get this question um men always love to ask me why i studied <laughs> sex therapy um i've probably been asked this 350 times at least. Um, I'm happy to answer again, of course. Uh, the reason was in high school, I had a boyfriend um, from the age of 14 all the way up until my first year of uni. And, um, you know, I wasn't having sex at 14 or anything like that. Um, I lost my virginity after I was 16 and we'd been dating for years, literally. Um, but because it was high school, it was such a big deal. No one had been dating. I remember when we'd been together for four months and everyone was like, whoa, your, your relationship's so long. That's crazy. Um, so I think because, you know, by the time I was 15 or 16, 17, we'd been together for three years and people kept, everyone at school would come and ask me questions about their relationship. Or does this happen in your relationship? Do you guys fight about this? Um, and it was happening so frequently that girls from other years would come to me. Um, younger girls would come up to me. It was almost like I was known to be someone that they can go to. People I didn't know from my school would come up to me. And then even after a while, girls from other schools would message me being like, hey, my friend told me like, I can come to you for advice. Like, do you, do you know anything about this? Or what are your thoughts on this? Um, it was kind of like the best way I relate it is that people from my high school always send me that sex education show. And it's like, this was literally you in high school, <laughs> just having little therapy sessions with everyone. Um, and so I was always really, really passionate about talking about relationships uh, and intimacy. It was in my, I guess, family. It's never been like a taboo subject. It's never been uncomfortable to talk about. So I was never like when we did sex ed at school and things like that, I was never freaked out. I was always loving it. Like, yes, miss, what about this? <laughs> What's anal like? <laughs> and weird shit like that. But um, then I, after I um, graduated high school, I was really lost about what I wanted to do. I actually didn't do well in high school at all. I went through a little bit of a rebellious phase. I didn't like that I was kind of put in this box. I was in detention all the time. I went to a really strict Catholic all girls school. Um, I was always getting in trouble, just every day in trouble. So I really had no respect for my school at that time or my teachers. So I barely went, I was wagging all the time. Um, wasn't handing in assignments and things like that. And I was considering dropping out a lot. I wanted to do makeup and things like that which was interesting um at the time until i actually went and tried it um thankfully someone 
was a makeup artist let me shadow her for a few days over the weekends and I was like this is exhausting so shout out if you're a makeup artist it was so tiring for me I could never do it um but really cool but yeah so then I kind of was really drawn into um counseling and everyone I knew was telling me you need to be a counselor you just have to be a counselor it was always drawn to you know obvious to everyone else that I should be a counselor. So I went to Notre Dame and I studied counseling and behavioral science was a three year degree. And whilst I was there, uh, you know, I had broken up with my boyfriend, uh, my high school boyfriend during my first year of uni. And that was when I had first started to go out and date and experience and, um, you know, kind of navigate the single world and my first kind of interactions with men, actually, because I was so fiercely loyal to my boyfriend that I wouldn't like talk to any other guys um, unless they were his friends and things like that. So it was really new to me and I was really like kind of shy about it, but super interested in, um, you know, learning everything I could. So I don't know, after a while, I just found that, um, when people used to come to me for relationships, all of a sudden everyone was coming to me about sex advice all the time. Um, just, and yet again, strangers, people from uni, people I just met and I'd always hear at parties like, wow, like I never open up to people like this, that kind of stuff. And I think it's genuinely because I'm just, um, I like literally everyone I meet. I like them. I never judge people. And, and I think people can sense that, um, they can tell me things and I wouldn't judge them. So then, I said to a friend once, like, God, I wish I could make money from this. Wouldn't that be the dream? And she was like, girl, you can. And there's only two degrees in Australia that can qualify you in sexology. One is with Sydney Uni and it's much more um, like science-based, focuses on HIV AIDS, um, STIs and things like that. And I did the other one, which was through Curtin University. Um, it's called sexology and it is also very science-based of everything I studied out of eight years and all my courses and degrees it was by far the hardest you think it's going to be interesting you think it's going to be all juicy it's not it's all science it's all biology it was very it's all stats um very very hard to study it was a hard year to get through um much harder than my bachelor degree but very well worth it. And I was sitting in the room. It was in Perth, Curtin University. So I had to fly over a few times a year and spend a week or two there. Um, and I was sitting in the room with my class and there was like 30 of us. And I was just like, I am with my people. And all we did all day, every day was learn and talk about sex and relationships. People that I studied with were sex workers worked at sex shops, they were um, matrix queens um, in the LGBTI community. They taught me so much. Um, you know, it was, it was so interesting to me. I learned so much. Everyone had a very unique um, and was super open and ready to talk about literally anything. So I, I just thought like this, more people need this, more people need to be able to go up to other people and say, and to have these discussions, um, talk about sex, like it's normal. Um, you know, they took it outside of the classroom too. After, after a class, they all would go to like strip clubs. Um, they would do cuddle parties. That was literally what they called. I didn't go to any because I was with my, I brought my mom <laughs> with me to birth. 
so um, I didn't attend any of those. Um, so yeah, I actually got another question about can you list everything um, you studied? So yeah, I did a Bachelor of um, Counseling and Behavioral Science. Then I did a Grad Dip of Sexology through Curtin University. Then I went to um, the Life Life Coaching College Australia or something like that, TLCC, and did a Masters of Life Coaching, which is super interesting if you are into those kind of things. Um, if you do the master program, they also put you through, um, you can get qualified as in hypnotherapy, which I did, NLP, matrix or timeline therapy, um, multiple brain integration techniques, all these different things, which was super fascinating for me. I loved it because I'd very much come from the science side and now I was sitting in this alter like, you know, alternative therapy side um which I thought was a really nice combination because I do like to do it a little bit holistically I like to work in the middle um and then after that so I did uh counseling behavior science sexology life coaching and then last year I just finished studying um an advanced uh graduate diploma in relationship counseling through relationship Australia um so obviously that was where my passion lies, working with couples and we had people come in, I could do couples therapy with them. It was really amazing, good experience. Um, and I also worked um, full time throughout all my studies as well. So this has been the first year, well, last year, 2021 was the first year I was ever able to take annual leave and not have to use it on study which was an exciting achievement for me <laughs> to finally be able to take a holiday and a break so those are happy days for me um yeah so I, I did study a lot and I think the second part of that question was how can I get into what you're doing um or something like that and you don't have to go and study everything that I studied um you definitely don't have to do as much as that. I did it because I was really passionate about these topics. Um, and my education cost me over a hundred thousand dollars. So it is very expensive to study in Australia. Thankfully I have paid almost all of it off, which was exciting, but you know, that's, that's, um, I started studying 10 years ago, so it's been a long time um, of paying back to everything. Um, and But yeah, so if you want to get started in, I guess, maybe more of the social work side or youth work or working with vulnerable people, I would suggest you start with a Cert 4 in, um, of community services in TAFE. And I speak really highly of this um, certificate because one, you can get job, you could work where I work um, with that degree. You can get a lot of experience through it. It's cheap, it's not long, and it's, it's a, and it, it gives you kind of knowledge of all areas. So like youth, elderly, vulnerable communities, drug and alcohol. So you can kind of gauge what is gonna be your area of expertise. Um, so, that was a very long answer to that question, <laughs> but I'll get on to the next one now anyway. Um, someone asked me, can I get your thoughts on getting into a new relationship after only a month of being single? So I think that 
99% of people would tell you it's way too soon. Um, I can't tell you, to be honest. Um, I'm someone that if, you know, in previous relationships, I've broken up with them, bounced back really fast. Um, I process things really quickly and I'm always like, next chapter, that was amazing experience. What's next in life kind of thing. And so I would, pro- I wouldn't say I've jumped into a relationship one month after. Actually, I have done that um, <laughs> maybe once or twice. I will say though, you always risk a chance of one not being healed from your most recent relationship and projecting too much of your own almost recent relationships traumas or issues onto your new relationship um true if you're not over that person your ex it's way it's really unfair on your new partner um for you to be processing your breakup whilst committing yourself to someone new um so i would be cautious really cautious of that and what your new partner um deserves and you also have to be wary that you may six months into your relationship think shit I should have stayed single I should have experienced it I should have had that time to reflect um you know I I'm hypocritical in saying that because I've done this myself and I have found that you know the old me back in the day I would have moved on with someone new or gone out and dated because it made me feel good it validated me um I got that attention I wanted I got you know, someone to give me warmth and nurture again. And maybe that was what I was missing or I was missing being in a relationship. So I I wouldn't have done it any differently going back um, because I did, you know, when I moved on quickly, I, I had stayed in those relationships and I truly felt and believed that I was over my ex-partner. Um, but I think for most people, they do take time to process a breakup. They do take time to get over someone. And it's not its not an easy process. Sometimes it can take years. Um, sometimes it can take a year or two and you may need that time completely so that you're not bringing baggage from your previous relationship into your new relationship. And I think that some of the reason why I was able to move on so quickly is because I was never let down by any of my partners. I was never hurt. I was never betrayed. I've never had issues in like or significant issues in my relationships that I had to process or work on myself and things like that. Um, I know that I am a healthy person to be in a relationship with and I seek out people that are also healthy or appear to be healthy in their like relationship and communication. So it was okay for me, but I can't say that applies to everyone else so you know if you're finding that you're looking too much um, back at your previous relationship or that you're kind of bringing these things forward into a new relationship you're not ready um and at the end of the day it's it's not just about you it's about this new person you're in a relationship with as well and what you may be doing to him or her by bringing that baggage in so i hope that answers that one uh the next question is um What have you heard of the death grip? <laughs> yes, um, I have heard of that. My understanding is that it, um, that's when you or uh, typically a, a male or a person with a penis that will um, self pleasure with their hand and or maybe even an object or a toy and they'll do it. They you get accustomed to it. I shouldn't do the gesture. <laughs> So I'm talking about that. That's weird. Sorry. They get accustomed to gripping it so hard or tightly that when they go and have sex, um, 
afterwards or with a partner eventually, um, it feels so different that they can't actually reach orgasm. Sometimes they can't maintain a react, uh, reaction, an erection because they're so used to a certain type of pressure method, um, tightness and grip really. So it, it it is really hard, especially when someone has been single for like two years, three years, four years, or maybe even forever, and they've never experienced it, or they haven't experienced sex in such a long time that they've become so used to having it a certain way. And it's it's a long, um, it can be a long journey to overcome, and it can be really difficult as well. And it can be, you know, there's a lot of um, shame and embarrassment that can come with that. So I think that if you're the partner of someone that has experienced or is experiencing that kind of um, aftermath of having a death grip, you need to be patient and you need to understand it has nothing to do with attraction or, um, or lust or love for your new partner. It is just about, you know, it's almost the same as women that get off a certain way when, you know, everything's the same, all the lights are nice, or they use a certain method like a shower head or a toy or whatever. And then a guy comes in and tries to touch them and they're like, nah, 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 that's not going to happen. Or sometimes they want to do it themselves. It's, it's the exact same as that. Um, it takes time. It takes practice. It takes a lot of like mental focus um and to to relearn yourself um i would say that you know we know that it can take eight weeks to kind of um undo i don't want to say the damage of porn but undo the effects of porn on your body and your brain so i would say it takes about that much of time to undo the effects of death grip um and if you have experienced that or you are experiencing that please stop I was going to say, please stop grabbing yourself so hard, but please um, don't do both when you're trying to introduce sex after using a death grip. Just try to really like um, stop that for a bit, let yourself gain some sensitivity again and take it slowly and be really mindful during it. Um, so actually that that relates um, to something else that it was is not a question. I actually got a message from someone and I just saw it today. So I thought it was really interesting. So I might talk about it for a second. I just have to find what their um, their Instagram account was because they messaged me about a, I think it's an app they do or a podcast or something like that. Um, it's, yeah, it's um, it's both basically, and it's really, really interesting. It's called um, Guided by Glow, so you can find them on Instagram. And I recommend anyone to check this out if you're interested in experiencing sensuality or sexuality in a new way, if you're trying to introduce that into your life, if you're trying to connect more to yourself. Um, I haven't listened to their app yet, but I went onto their Instagram just before because I literally just saw it and I listened to some of their previews. I think it's really interesting that they're kind of bridging the gap or making a connection between mindfulness and sensuality. So it's basically an app for guided um, sensual meditations um, that connect you with your sexuality and sensuality. And they also have erotic stories and things like that. So I think it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, sex and intimacy and self intimacy can be such a raw and uncomfortable, 
um, topic for a lot of people and often women as well um, in particular can find this really difficult for them. Um, I know lots of women that struggle with this. And so this, I thought was super interesting. Uh, this isn't promotional or anything like that, honestly. Um, but I think that it's very unique and give it a go. Let me know what you're thinking. And if you liked it, I, I'm definitely going to download it and have a, have a listen and see what I think. Um, from the previews, it sounds really like really gentle, really nice, really beautiful. Um, and I'm all about kind of making that connection with, you know, it's almost like that tantric essence, um, mindfulness and, and sensuality. So very interesting. Um, okay. Back to my questions. I can't even remember now if I finished my <laughs> the last answer. I've been talking <laughs> straight for so long. Sorry, bear with me. Um, so the next question is um, advice for a 20 year old virgin other than wear a condom. And I love that you know to wear a condom. So props to you for, for, uh, for beginning. And I wish Neil was here because, you know, Neil's talked about a lot in our podcast that he lost his virginity when he was 19 and he had a lot of like thoughts and anguish about that. And he was always stressing about it and thinking about it. Um, so I guess my it's hard to give advice generic to someone that I don't know anything about you and I don't know what your, you know, you might have anxiety. You might not, you, you, you might not have anything. Um, but I would cater my advice specifically to a person. Um, I guess my advice is probably not what you're looking for and that you want some hints and tricks, but my advice is going to be that, you know, in order to meet women, you do have to put yourself out there. You have to, whether that be online or, or going out to bars and things like that. And I know, you know, I know a lot of people that think, you know, when the, when the right person comes into my life or when they're meant to come into my life, they will. And then they sit at home literally all day, every day and never meeting anyone. Um, so, and I'm not saying you do this and that's why you're a virgin or anything like that. It's just that, um, if you're not putting yourself out there and you want to lose your virginity, put yourself out there and connect with people and don't feel ashamed or embarrassed to tell people that. Um, I think it's, I would be telling people that if I was a virgin and saying, Hey, like I'm about to lose my virginity. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. Like, um, or maybe it is a big deal and you want them to be, you want it to be special. You want it to be a certain way. That's totally fair to ask for. Um, I think, you know, at your age, and no one has super high expectations about sex. So there's a really good chance that, you know, the first time you have sex, it's going to be awkward and it's going to be clumsy and it's going to feel weird and you may not know what you're doing and that's okay. You know, it's totally fine. Um, all I say is do it with someone that you know is going to respect you and is not going to shame you or embarrass you about that. Like we've all, we've all been there. We've all most of us, I mean, have lost our virginity at some point. So it's not something that you need to be judged on. You, you, some people pick it up straight away. They just know what to do and that's fine. Like don't let it, don't get in your head, just take it naturally, feel in your body. And if you, you know, finish straight away in two seconds flat, so be it. A lot of people that aren't virgins do that anyway. So it's totally fine. Um, don't worry about it. And once you lose your virginity in like you know, three, six months time, you won't think about it again. Um, but if your advice was about you wanting to stay a virgin, 
good for you. Um, do whatever feels best for you. If you don't want to lose your virginity, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. Um, so good luck in your journey. It's a really exciting time when you are in this journey. So try to really look at it positively that you get to experience this. You get to really think about what you want to um, kind of do in terms of do I want to communicate this? Do I want to try have it in a certain way do i want it with someone i love like it's really nice to be able to make those decisions often kids lose their virginity at a really young age and they have limited control or they just impulsively do it and regret it so you're in a unique situation and good luck very exciting keep us updated <laughs> if you do um and yes like you said do wear a condom um so next question Someone else wrote, I'm still waiting for the topic of incest. That's not a question. That is a statement. And thank you because that is a juicy, juicy topic, which I will definitely cover with Neil. I have a lot to say about that. Um, a lot to say about incest and covert incest, um, things like that. So we'll definitely do a podcast on that soon. I'll add that to the list. So thank you. Um, oh, she also sent another question saying, Tips for when your significant other is very dry or non-responsive in text and in person and then occasionally is not. So this is a really, um, really tough kind of place to be in. And I really empathize with you for if you experience this. Um, some people aren't verbally communicative and they are not like that in person or via text my dad's like that and he's a very very loving person even adrian he's he's a little bit like that uh, because he's a very shy and introverted person but i know how much he genuinely loves and adores me and that's very very evident in everything he does so adrian's love language is acts of service so he likes to get up and make me coffee or breakfast, make clean everything, do do everything he can for me to do the washing, which sounds so luxurious. Um, but he feels really good about it. He loves it. That That's how he shows his love, but he's not going to be, you know, talking lots to me about his, you know, bearing his heart out. He's just not that type of person. Um, and I don't mind that about him, but in in that being said, there is the other side of someone that is dry and non-responsive and that they may not actually be prioritizing you and they should be, they should be making an effort. And if you say like, I want to be texted every day or I wanted to, I want to be spoken to with like, you know, kind of like warmth and humor and love, then you, you deserve that and you should communicate that and ask for that. If they can't give that to you, then it's up to you to determine whether or not you can stay in a relationship with what you're currently receiving. Um, when you say they're occasionally not, whether or not they, uh, this is controversial to say, but it can sometimes be manipulative. And this is why we also deeply sexually um, desire people that are like this, because when people are dry or non-responsive or there's ups and downs in your relationship, you 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 get fear and you get anxiety and what happens when we get fear and anxiety our attachment systems activate so when that happens and your attachment system is activated because your relationship internally or subconsciously does not feel stable to you you desperately seek that person to bond with them and that's often you know the easiest way to bond and 
to establish that connection is sexually. So then you're really desiring this person more than you would with someone that was, you know, really nice and stable. Uh, so it is a really, really tough spot to be in. You need to deeply, deeply take the time to reflect on it and, and think, is this relationship fulfilling to me? Do I feel loved? Do I feel adored? Or, or are these the feelings that I want to feel? Maybe write down, what do I need to feel in a relationship? Like for me, I do need to feel adored. I need to feel um, like I have, I need to feel safe. I need to feel like deeply, deeply loved. I probably feel that I need to feel loved more than other people may need to feel loved. Like, you know, my friends have relationships and they kind of like best friends get along, whatever. And I need to feel like every single day me and Adrian are like prioritizing our relationship and making effort in our relationship thank God he's okay with that (laughs) because, you know, my whole life revolves around talking about and studying and being in relationships. It's so important to me. Um, But he's very aware of that. So he makes that effort where he can to, to meet that need of mine. So is he meeting those needs of your, or she, sorry, are they meeting those needs of yours? Um, So good luck with that. Um, Feel free to reach out if you want to talk further about it. Um, another question I got was, do you have tips for those who always get accused of flirting with guys, even though we're not, I so relate to this. Um, I get accused of this all the time. I've spoken about this a little bit, you know, like people would, I used to get teased at uni for, um, for flirting with my 70 year old lecturer all the time. And I was always flawed like completely flawed why people think I'm flirting or when people come talk to me um when I'm out with my friends and they're always like oh they always go to Eliza they always go to Eliza and it's not because I am you know dressed like I'm easy or it's not big which is I shouldn't say that anyway because that's never a reason but and it's not because I'm putting out signals like I'm down to fuck or whatever it's because I genuinely people I will respond to eye contact I'll respond to smiles I smile back when I see people um if someone waves at me if they're a stranger I'll just wave back like that's genuinely just how I am in my nature I feel like I'm very um optimistic person and people and strangers approach me all the time I get asked for directions five times a week (laughs) by someone or someone coming and asking me for help or asking me a question about like, do you know where this is? Or, um, have you, do you know where a good burger is? Or where's this from? Where's your bag from? Like I honestly get approached by strangers constantly. And I think it's because I just have a very approachable demeanor and an approachable face or something. And you know, it's, it's all in your body language. If you're crouched over, you're looking down, you're looking busy, people aren't going to approach you. I genuinely, I'm a slow walker. I walk around looking at things. I kind of look a bit, maybe a bit ditty and, and smiley, but that's, that's who I am. Um, people come up to me and unfortunately a lot of this behavior gets interpreted as flirtation. And it's interesting because I will respond to a woman the exact same way I respond to a man. I will smile at them. I will engage with them. I will compliment them. Not, you know, not fake, like genuinely. Um, and you know, okay, I, I have stopped. I used to be a very, very touchy feely person. Um, and I, even if I met a stranger, woman or man, and I was talking to them, I would, if I got excited about, I know this, I know this, I'd grab their shoulder and things like that. And now I, 
much much more cautious of breaking that touch barrier people because one you'd never know who that's you know that could be really uncomfortable for someone and two because I've realized it definitely gives um a signal that I wasn't intending to be given so I think that it's really sad because being in a relationship is much easier as a tip because I would straight away when someone approaches me and they'll be like, oh, I like your eyeliner or something. I'll be like, oh my God, thank you. Yeah, me and mom, me and my boyfriend, Adrian, we just went to the shops and I tried this out, just bought it, blah, blah. And I always just drop Adrian naturally in conversation. So it's straight away so that even if I'm bubbly and, and smiley or touching my hair afterwards or whatever, it's not construed as flirting because I've been talking about my boyfriend or whatever bring Adrian over to contribute to this conversation, which he fucking hates because he's so shy. Um, but when, when I was single, it was so hard because I can't just say, oh, I have a boyfriend. I'm just here with my man. Like I couldn't say any of these things. And people would always think, oh, she's into me. She's so into me. Um, so it, it's really hard. And to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out how to better um, put those boundaries in while still trying to be a, a nice and keep my personality. This is this is genuinely who I am. Like I remember my friend telling me that I was flirting with her grandma and I was like, I just really like your grandma. I wasn't flirting with her, but it's just interesting that some people pursue that. And I think, you know, for women and, and men that think women are flirting with them, I think it's really important that I have to acknowledge that when I go and I hug a guy or I put my hands on him, I'll be like, oh, I love your shirt. It looks so nice. This color is really good on you. That they may not have ever received these compliments. They not have. They may not have been hugged in weeks. They may not have had someone um, being like, tell me, tell me what you do for work. Tell me about this. Like, how's everything going in your family? Like they have not experienced someone showing genuine interest in their life. Um, so they might think, well, no other women do this or I don't experience this often. So clearly Eliza's going above and beyond. So she must be interested in me. So I think that that is a lot to do with it as well. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I also once when I was single, tried to navigate it by saying like, when I was so insecure about this and I'd be like, I'm not flirting. I'm just like, I'm not trying to be flirtatious by the way. Like, blah, blah. And they'd be like, okay. And cool and then I felt like an idiot so it's so hard to to navigate um I wish I had better tips for you other than get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and talk about your partner because you shouldn't have to do that I think it's just being aware of you know someone that hasn't been touched complimented or nurtured in a long time or had someone show genuine interest in them that they um they may perceive it in a special in a certain way and there's been I can't even you know count on at least 10 times I've been on first I've been on a lot of first dates but many times I've been on first dates and I've had guys tell me I've never had a date where a woman asks me so much about myself like I've always had to make the conversation I always have to let her talk about her I've never had this so that kind of was what was providing me so much insight into wow like do, do men really not experience this often so um, super interesting and, and sad, but also it's kind of, I was watching this, um, like a, I don't know, YouTube or something. And it was about how we find it so comforting to rely on these stereotypes in, in dating and relationships that men will 
organize it men will hold the conversation or whatever um that if it if the roles are going to be reversed it can make women or even men really really uncomfortable and not know what role they they fit in and what role to play in this um so yeah super interesting i've definitely had you know i like to pay for dates that i was on always paid for first dates because i just was so stressed about people paying for me i was always stressed that what if he doesn't have money and he's just going out on a limb to pay for, i always would pay because i knew i had money i knew it wouldn't affect me at all so i just thought well i'll just pay it um and I, so many times men would be like not grateful for that but think this is undermining or this is weird or this is makes me uncomfortable or i don't like that you did that like <laughs> so super interesting um another question i got from my little instagram friend who i met through this podcast and we chat a lot um here and there he said do you feel as though increased income inequality contributes to family breakups um absolutely 100 percent think that it does um you know, financial disagreements are the number one cause of breakup and divorce um, above anything else. So it's a huge, huge stressor in relationships. Um, I remember when I worked in child uh, protection and I would go out and investigate, you know, um, allegations or assaults and things like that. And when I first was in child protection, I now currently work, you know, over in Western Sydney and have clients in there. But when I first was doing it for many years, I worked in the North Shore and Northern Beaches in, in high income earning areas. And what I found was working over in the North Shore and Northern Beaches of Sydney, um, like the Mossman area, is that when there were allegations and concerns, it was always a very wealthy, high earning male and a woman with nowhere to go, no resources of her own, experiencing... Um, abuse the children are experiencing abuse and thinking like i don't want to leave him because i'll have nothing and i don't want to have nothing so they endure this pain and and abuse because having nothing was f by far a worse consequence than having an occasional fist to the face um or you know an occasional slap on the, to the child so which is really sad and obviously in child protection if an a parent cannot uh, devote themselves to keeping a child safe then there are consequences of that um, whether it be temporary or, or permanent so it's a very tricky um, situation to be in I mean I, I really went to the most dire <laughs> outcome of this and um, I think that it, it can be hard where people I see this on reddit all the time actually in relationships or the am I the asshole and constantly probably one of the most common questions i see is i'm moving in with my boyfriend and he earns um dollars a year and i earn fifty thousand dollars a year and he wants to split the bills on everything to be fair what are your thoughts on this and it's really interesting how common that is even when it's, the genders are reversed that the people are like the person in the relationship is like no um i 
we need to pay everything down the middle thinking that's fair, but really it's not. I think that you should pay via percentage. And if you have a higher income and you're going out for $200 dinners and someone's on a $50,000 a year uh, salary, that's a lot of money that they don't get to save. Um, whereas this other person would save heaps. Like, you know, it's, it, it, it is about that. And you need to be on the same page as someone. That's why people have so many disagreements about money. And that's why I also always, also always recommend premarital counseling for couples that are engaged because these are the kind of questions that come up. What happens when she's a stay-at-home mom? Are you going to give her access to all your finances? Are you going to give her an allowance? What's this going to look like? Um, those are the kind of questions they explore. So definitely, definitely, um, I do think that there is a risk of family or marriage breakup or relational breakup because of um, income differences or, or money differences. So it's a really, really hard spot to navigate. Um <sighs> Yeah, sort that out early on. If you're in a new relationship, have those conversations as early as you can because it's so important to know. Like I was really lucky. I think, you know, Adrian and I really delved deep in love into in a relationship. We moved so fast, which I don't recommend, um, but we were practically living together at two months. We had a bank account together at um four months and we we put saving it savings in from four months and that's why we were able to buy a house together um and then we made a spending account together so when we went on dates it wasn't like you pay this time i'll pay this time we literally just paid from our account of our joint money and it was so easy um there's been times you know we moved to the central coast adrian quit his full-time job in sydney and he started his own business up here it's called good games landscapes good game landscapes, something like that on Instagram, if you want to check them out. Um, but he started his own business up here. It's doing really well. But obviously when we first moved, it was the peak of COVID that he wasn't allowed to work. So I had to financially support us for many months. And that's, that's fine. That's just the way it is. That's what you have to do in relationships. It was no, had no impact on me whatsoever. Um, or us. So it wasn't even a discussion. It was just a given. Anyway, next question. I don't think I'm going to get through, <laughs> through all of these. I've answered like five, 45 minutes in. Um, okay, so someone said, um, how do I stop flirting with a girl I like? And he or she also sent another one saying, how can I start an in-depth conversation about our interests and likes? For example, bird watching. And if you're actually interested in bird watching, I think that's so beautiful. I know a lot of girls that are really interested in bird watching too. My friends obsessed with it. So I think that's, that's really nice. Um, and you know, I, I would say like, you can start a question and be like, have you ever done bird watching or, or point out a bird and be like, this is what this is. This is what this bird is. And then talk about your interest and your passion in it and be like, I want to take you out and show you how to do this. Like, would you be interested in that? Uh, we've definitely done, Neil and I have done a lot of videos on, on how to flirt and be flirtatious and how to do it appropriately. So I would try go back and find those because it'll be really, um, it's much more in depth in what I can give you now, because there's a lot of things you have to consider boundaries. Are they comfortable with it? Are they open to receiving? What does that look like? Um, ideally I would love to eventually work with people one-on-one -on -one specifically for things like this and help coach them through that. Because for some people it does, it does not come naturally and they need to know like they need to have a manual on how can I do this? How can I approach people? Because it's not an instinctive um, response for them. So 
I'm sorry to give you such a brief answer other than look back through my old podcast with Neil, but it's such a loaded question. Um, I do think talking about your interests is a really good place to start and trying to engage them in your interests and vice versa, asking them, what are you interested about? Or can we do that? Um, my friend, he used to love swing dancing and he would talk about it occasionally where he put it in his Tinder bio and then everyone would be asking him about that and he would take girls swing dancing or do classes with them and engage that way. And it, it was so fun for both him and the girls he took out. So I think if you have special interests like that, you're at a huge advantage because not everyone has these interesting little unique hobbies, um, especially one where it's not like you're paragliding. So it's it's not scary to say, come do this with me. It's really romantic bird watching, like walking around a nice area slowly, con- you're having good conversation and also kind of you have a purpose to this slow romantic stroll. So I um, I think that if that is your genuine hobby, you're you're ahead of the game. I think you've got a lot more of an advantage than you realize. Um, someone said, um, <laughs> "Have you been with a woman, <laughs> um, or have you ever? Sorry, have you ever been made a move on by a woman?" Yes, of course. Um, a few times. Yes, I. Before I um met Adrian, I was dating woman a little bit um she I had actually a couple (laughs) um it was really unique experience for me I had just got out of a well I hadn't just got out but I was out of a long-term relationship with um a man and I would always thought I really want to explore dating women um I always thought that I could you know, I, maybe I'm bisexual. I was definitely bi-curious. Um, I wouldn't even put myself on a box now. I'm just, it's the spectrum. I'm attracted to certain people. Sometimes it's women, sometimes it's men. Um, and I wanted to explore that. So I did go on a few dates with women. I always had, it was very, very, very different to dating um, men. It was much more intimidating and much more like meaningful for me, uh, which is funny to say, no offense to my current partner. Um, it was, it was always a lot of fun. I, yeah, the last woman I dated was just before I met Adrian and, um, we were going on a few dates. Uh, she was a really, she was a gorgeous woman. She was really feminine and I was, I was really into that. I was really into like this admiring the beauty of femininity, uh, thinking like when the first time we kissed, like, my God, kissing a woman is so beautiful and soft and nice, um, compared to men, which it's nice kissing them, but it's such a different ball game. It is like night and day. It was so different. Um, and before when I was talking about those, you know, dating roles and gender roles, I actually fell into that. And I was like, who, like what role? We're both feminine. We're both like femme. What do I, who does what? Like who instigates? Who, how do I navigate this? It was so much more intimidating for me than it is with a man. I feel like with a man, I can go on a date and be fucking it's the easiest shit I've ever done with a woman. It meant so much to me. I was so like nervous um, and I didn't know what to do. I would always pay for all the dinners and, you know, kind of put my jacket over her. It was interesting that I took that role so naturally. <laughs> um, and she, she was so lovely. Um, 
she put in so much effort. I think that was a really big difference that I had experienced is that women put so much effort. And I remember when like the second time we met, I said, I like dumplings. And then she invited me over to her house and or her apartment. And she'd made, she'd set up her apartment as like a little Chinese a restaurant kind of thing. So she had little Chinese lanterns everywhere. She'd made dumplings for me. She had little, um, uh, Chinese music playing in the background and chopsticks and everything, candles everywhere. It was so romantic and so nice. And we stayed up all night, just literally all night talking and looking into each other's eyes. And it was like soul connection. And what I liked about dating women is that there's no shame or no, to me, there were no games like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, if I give him a compliment, he's going to think I'm too forward. Like women will just, they will give me, were giving me the most meaningful compliments I have ever, ever experienced. Like she would just look me in the eyes and be like, Eliza, you have just one of the most genuine souls I've ever seen. Like your, your laugh and your smile literally is heart melting. She's always like you, I learned so much from you. Like you're so wise for being so young. This is really nice compliments all the time. And I was like that too. I was always complimenting her. So it was um, really nice. And I ended up ending it because she, um, she was so ready for um to to fall in love and find the one and i was so scared that i was still in like an exploration phase that i would end up breaking her heart by what if i came three months later and said oh i was just experimenting i was so scared because i didn't know where i was at i didn't know if it would go into a relationship or if it wouldn't and i didn't want to break her heart um so i ended things and i was going to continue exploring more with women um but then i met adrian and literally the second i laid eyes on adrian i was like this is everything i have ever asked for in a partner he i feel like i had manifested him he's my soulmate um so that's obviously why i didn't um pursue things further with women i i when i met adrian i was like instantly loyal to him and i didn't have a second of a doubt or another second thought um that was it for me um and it's still like that so that's nice so yes um i have been with women and um it's really nice. Um, so do recommend. Um, so, oh my God, I'm almost an hour in. Um, another question, which I would like to answer actually is what is your take on the foster care system in Australia? What is good and what can be done differently? So for those who don't know, um, I guess a little bit about what I do for work, which is my other, the other question there is what do you do for work and how can you get into something or can you talk more about it? Um, I have worked a lot with young people, youth, working with vulnerable youth specifically, uh, working in high-risk communities and child protection. I've worked in the relationship side and the sex therapy side, but ultimately what I ended up deciding was, well, in, in, 2000, um, in, in 2019, I won a um, local hero award and that was really 
meaningful um, for me. And I had, there was this big ceremony and there were all these people that I didn't know were attending and photos being taken. And then um, in 2020, the year afterwards, I, when I really wanted to delve into like, you know, relationship coaching and counseling, I then won um, the local women award. And that was given to me by <laughs> Gladys Berejiklian. We went for this big morning tea. It was all like, there was uh, photographers. It was this huge ordeal. And, um, you know, she said to me, like, the work you do and the passion you put into this community is so meaningful. And it kind of swayed me a little bit in thinking I, I cannot move out of working with vulnerable communities yet because I still have the energy. I still have the passion and I want to do it until I'm like maybe 30. Um, so I've done 10 or 11 years in the industry by then and then I can work into sex and relationships, which is much more cruisy than what I'm doing now, a thousand times more cruisy um, than what I experience at work currently. Uh, but I want to be able to contribute as much as I can before I go into that. So I do have a lot of experience working with youth and I spend a lot of time um, volunteering as uh, with Lifeline as a suicide telephone counselor. I volunteered with um, elderly, with disability. I did every, literally everything for years while studying and working. Um, it's, it's never burnt me out. I've always been really passionate about it. So my advice to people that are getting into this industry or wanting to get into this industry, don't just do it because you want to help people. Um, because it's not enough and that will burn you out really fast. If you're the type of person that is really, really empathetic and compassionate, which I am, um, you have to be really careful because you will see things that will, will keep you up at night and you will experience things that will shock you and, and break your heart. Um, I've been, you know, held hostage, locked in a house. I've been, had a knife to my throat. Um, I've seen children multiple multiple uh, times attempt suicide and taken them to hospital. I've picked up children after they've been sexually assaulted and taken them to the hospital. I've been in court proceedings for these kind of things many times. Um, I was assaulted the start of last year and had a fractured rib and a back injury for eight months. Um, so it's not an easy thing to be in and you will hear things and you'll see things that um, will you, t I can't tell like Adrian about, or I can't tell friends about because it's too traumatizing for them to even hear the details. I remember once I was dating someone and I told him about a little boy I was working with and what had happened to him. And anyway, we broke up and months later he messaged me and he's like, I cannot stop thinking about this kid, Eliza. Like it's keeping me up all night. Like I just feel sick all the time. And I think about it and I realized then I can't just casually drop this in a conversation. Um, so if you're wanting to go down that path of the kind of work I do now and currently with these communities, you have to be extremely resilient. You have to be able to look someone in the eye and have him tell you, yes, I sexually abused my children or yes, I did this. Um, yes, I killed this person and yes, I did this to the dog and you have to keep a straight face and you have to be willing to support them and see what can I do to turn this person's life around and those kind of things. So currently um, I am working specifically with children in and families that are breaking down or running out of home care or foster care. So I do have a lot of um, thoughts about 
the foster care system. Um, it's really, really heartbreaking. Um, and thankfully, the foster carers I work with, majority of them or most of them are really amazing um, people and selfless people for taking in children. Um, you know, we know that kids with trauma none of them go into a home and think wow like thank you i've got a bed for the first time or thank you i've never had spaghetti bolognese i'm so excited or i've never had toys it's not like that it's pure destruction and violence and um dysregulation because these children have trauma and you have to work with these families and and these these carers um to support them and work with these kids endlessly to to get them a better outcome. And unfortunately, the way the system works is that like, you know, by um, there's so many studies and statistics that show that it's almost better for a child to stay in an abusive situation than it is to be in foster care, regardless of how loving your foster care parents are, the outcomes of children in foster care are can be far worse than kids that stay in a tumultuous home. Um, so foster care in Australia, Australia's got really great laws about it in the sense that it is always last resort. They have to exhaust every single resort. And if a children is taken away from a home, it is automatically a restoration case. So you have to be working to, you know, for a certain amount of time, working towards getting that child back into the home. It is only after you can prove time and time and time again that being at home will put that child at severe risk. Can they stay in the foster care system? And before they go into foster care um, with, you know, strangers or carers, every single family member is explored, assessed, interviewed to see, can they take these children in? If they're safe to do so, we put them in family. If they're not, um, we have to put them with carers. Um, and the adoption um, side is, is also really different now in Australia it's changed massively like people always think oh if you can't have kids just adopt it's not like that in Australia you can you can't just enroll to adopt anymore there is no such thing as a private adoption there is only open adoptions which mean that every single child that is adopted their parents have a right to to see that child and get information of that child and they will have to continue to see that child until the child is you know, old enough for a teenager and they're like, I don't want to see them. And then they can decide that themselves. Um, but they will always, you have to be willing to see, have those parents as well in your life and those families, um, 10, 20, 30, 40 visits a year that, you know, you have to overlook and adoption itself can take on average, the families I work with five, six, seven, sometimes 12 years before the adoption actually goes through because adoption is also seen as the last resort option for a child. Um, it's actually, Australia is almost against adoption in the sense that it takes away their family identity. Um, it can be confusing to children. It's only after they've been with, you know, carers for a really long time, um, can they adoption be considered and the child is old enough to express that as well. that They want to be adopted because if a child is adopted, their birth certificate gets changed and their family, original family is completely erased as evidence of, of being their parents. Um, so 
that being said, there are ways in Australia where you can private privately adopt, but it's very difficult. It's a very long waiting list, and I don't know much about it. I only know through adopting through the foster care system. Um, in terms of my work, I don't work on the field anymore as much with family. I actually um, manage other people, other therapeutic workers that go out and work with families. I manage them. So I will train them, educate them, work with them, help make all the decisions. I provide the supervision to them. Um, and I have a team that go out and work with the families. So it's nice to have stepped up from that um, work out as much. Cause I think, you know, after I was um, assaulted, I was a little <laughs> tad, tad burnt out. So it was nice um, to step up after that and, and overlook things rather than doing it all myself so that's been nice um but yeah if you if you're wanting to get in the industry it's i think my biggest message is that you have to be a really resilient person and do not do it for your ego because people always say to me wow like your job must be so rewarding it's not rewarding you never get thank yous you never get um <laughs> wow, you've changed my life around. You do it out of the goodness of your own heart. You, the, it takes these kids years to realize the impact that you've had on it. And it's what's interesting now is kids I work with when I was 19, 20, 21, they, find, they found me sometimes when they find my Facebook or they found my Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever. And they message me and saying, thank you. You changed my life. You were the most important out of my life. And they missed me five years later. And I'm like, I can't, can't even remember who this kid is. <laughs> I work with so many, but it's happening a lot. Um, recently that kids I've worked with in the past, finding me and reaching out to me, which is really nice, but yeah, you don't get that at the time. Uh, so, you know, you can be slaving away and, and devoting yourself to families and children that don't, understand it but it doesn't matter this, this is not why you're in it you're not in it to be thanked you're not in it for appreciation it's not about your ego it's about helping and and breaking the system um and doing what you can for the community so i highly i hope that didn't turn you off the industry like i love it i'm so every single day is a challenge everything is is super interesting um for me and i learned so much i've been doing so so much training on top of what i learned i've done like a thousand probably not a thousand but probably at least a hundred um short courses and short trainings as well on trauma-informed care um suicide intervention drug and alcohol intervention everything so it's really really interesting for me to learn those things and then apply it with my clients i think so i'm really grateful the opportunity and yeah once I'm 30 I will definitely be or you know maybe after I've had my first child or whatever I would definitely be then moving into something a little bit more cruisy um so yeah I've just realized now I've been going for an hour and five minutes and I answered probably a third of the, <laughs> of the questions I'm so sorry for those that were really wanting a response to their questions and I didn't Give it. I might answer one more. I'll just have a look and see what's next. It's just started torrential raining here as well. So sorry if you can hear that. Um, I'll just open my next question. Um, how did you, oh, my brother sent that in. <laughs> it was, how do you get the nickname donkey? I won't answer that. Um, Okay, last one. How do I stop treating my current partner like my ex? Um, really, really hard situation to be in. And 
the the easiest and shortest answer I can give you is it takes time. It takes a lot of time. If you have had a difficult relationship previously and you're stepping in into a new relationship, you're going to be bringing in that trauma, that attachment and that baggage into your current relationship. And it takes a lot of time to process and build trust um, to, to be ordered to move on from that and, and differentiate that these are different people that are going to treat you differently. And a really good example I can give you is one of my closest friends who had a, I think he was abusive or borderline abusive, but extremely manipulative boyfriend or partner for many years. Um, and finally she left that relationship. And then when she met her new partner, her current partner, who is a really loving and kind and secure person, she just, she could not accept that he wasn't going to hurt her. So she would actually subconsciously become toxic herself, even though she is the most gentle and loving person. She, when she entered a new relationship, she became the toxic one because she was trying to ignite behaviors that are predictable for her. So it's, this is what happens with children and trauma as well. When they go into new homes or things like that, they, they, create behaviors or do actions so that they can get a response that is predictable because by far predictability is the safest thing for someone rather than an unpredictable situation or outcome. And we do this in relationships too. If we think, um, you know, you've been cheated on, you go into your next relationship and you instantly accusing someone of cheating on you because that to you is it's, I need to prove that I'm right. I need to prove that this is the situation that occurs or all men are like this, or all women are like this. Um, so what happened to my friend is she unfortunately was quite, um, she says like toxic to her partner for a, a long time. They've been together for many years and he, he really stood by her and she communicated it really openly to him saying like, I'm really working on this. I really, I know that this isn't you and this is me. And I'm so sorry that I say, said those things and I did those things. Um, or I responded that way. Like, please, give me time um, to work on this. And eventually after it took her like a solid year or so before she actually had healed the past relational trauma to be able to fully completely and openly trust her new partner and, and, and let go of those, um, those issues and, and let go of those trust concerns or allegations that she'd make against him, all those toxic behaviors in order to, to ignite a behavior she was familiar with. So once she learned to f like completely trust him, um, she was able to let go of that. So that would be my final advice is, and that's what the most important thing for me in any relationship is the second I don't trust someone, I can't get past it. The re that relationship is gone for me. So I make it so clear from the very beginning. Like if you if you lie to me about something significant or I catch you, you betray me, that's it. Like I can't come back from that ever, not at all. Um, and, but now going into relationships, I automatically trust someone. I automatically fully um, know that they are or, or believe that they are committed to me and, and sharing that love with me or committed to making this relationship grow. Um, and to be fair, I've actually sought out people that I know are quite forward. Like Adrian's very romantic. So I always was reassured of that. And I knew that I needed that, even though I haven't even been like, you know, hurt and I don't have these relationship traumas or anything like that. It was just something that I, I need, um, in a relationship. So you may need to say to your partner, 
I really need a lot of reassurance for you while I work on this. I need to be reassured sometimes. I need this from you and I need your patience, but you also just have to be cautious that you're not impacting your partner too much. And if you're putting them through so much pain, please seek psychological support um, to to give you strategies of what you can do in that time. Because I wish I could, I should probably actually do a whole podcast on this because there's so much to unpack in it. But Hope that kind of gives you a little something to start with. Um, And I just recommend to everyone to get psychological support if you have something that you know is impacting you and your relationships. Definitely seek support. So anyways, I'm sorry for all of those that wrote in and I didn't answer your questions. Hopefully Neil and I can do another one or do something, I don't know, a little hybrid chit-chat podcast soon. Um, We should be back together next week podcasting so um hope it was okay with me on my own and i will see you next wednesday bye